If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know how I like to talk about a gut biome test. I call it a fancy poop test. It's a fancy name for a poop test. And it's going to tell us what the ecosystem is in your gut. And why that's important is since food's the best medicine, it's going to tell us, here are your superfoods just for you to eat. Here are the foods for you to avoid. And here's everything else. Eat this a lot. Eat this a little. Now, my team has been very busy and they got an amazing deal. For anybody that wants to do this test, you can do it at home. You don't need a doctor's orders. All you have to do is just go to Viome, V as in Victor, I-O-M as in Mary, E.com, Viome.com. And at checkout, use the secret code, Julie Ryan, and you'll get more than 50% off. Don't put any spaces in there, just Julie Ryan. It's an amazing test. It's going to give you tons of information. I've done it several times myself, and you're going to be thrilled with the information you get because it'll give you a program just for you. Give it a whirl. Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all over the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And I have such a treat for you this week. Dr. Gertrude Lyons is with us. She is a goddess coach. How about that? She's a goddess herself. I'll take it. And she's a coach to help people become, help people, help women primarily uh, get into their their power and their their uh, essence and their fabulousness. How about that? Welcome, welcome. No, Julie, it's just an honor, a privilege. I'm so excited to be here. And I I love that intro. That, that was, I'll, I'll take it. A goddess coach. I, I was called t- the goddess coach before, but there I, you go. I, well, you're you're like helping it. women create the goddess within themselves. I believe I do with too. the work that you do. I was talking I to somebody. That's some of my intention, yes. I was talking to a client yesterday, and she told me that her nickname was Gator when she was little. And her email was Gator with an A at the end of it. And I said, Okay, so your email's Gatora, right? You're the god you're the goddess of gators. <laughs> She laughed and she said, I never thought of that, but that's really good. I thought Gatora, the goddess of gators. Isn't that perfect? I, I, it's perfect. It's I perfect. know. I, and then we would have to look up gator energy. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Well, animal energy is off we the top did. of my head. Oh, we did. We did. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it was. It's powerful. It was. It, it, when I'm, I'm trying to remember, it was something to do with ancient energy and divine guide divinely guided and stuff like that and and we were laughing we were saying really a gator you know gators it does look like kind of a dinosaur they do yeah they look like a dinosaur ancestor kind of a critter but anyways well everybody let me fill you in on dr gertrude here because she has quite the interesting resume bio here. She's a leading edge trainer and educator, and she inspires people to take control of their own personal transformations. She challenges traditional notions of mothering by facilitating raw, open conversations around mothering, womanhood, womanhood, parenthood, and no one, and these are conversations that nobody else is having. Today, Dr. Lyons is on a mission to help women reclaim their lives through mothering and create a safe space where women can express their dreams, fears, and truths around motherhood. 
She received her bachelor's in finance and accounting from St. Mary's College, Notre Dame. She's a St. Mary's girl, for those of you that know what that means. I have lots of friends that went to St. Mary's, by the way. So when we're done with the show, we'll have to compare notes and see if you knew any of them. Because that's not that big of a school. Nope. Yeah. So St. Mary's Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana, her master's in psychology from Antioch University McGregor School and her doctorate and another MA. My goodness, you got a lot of alphabet soup at the end of your name, girl, (laughs) in transformational leadership and coaching at the Wright Graduate University for the realization of human potential. That is a mouthful. That is a lot. We call it WGU. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. My goodness. I was was in preparing for this chat today. I was kind of moving around your website and you have a quote up there that I thought was really terrific. And it's being a mother is an attitude, not a biological relation. And I thought, whoa, what a powerful statement that is. Why did you put that up? Is that kind of a summation of the work that you're doing? Yeah, it's definitely a summation of the aspect of, you know, what I what I call the kind of the whole umbrella is rewriting the mother code, right? And so a, a paradigm that I'm hoping to expand and really make much more, uh, empowering and available for women is expanding the definition of mothering that we all mother and that all women mother could because we conceive create and give birth to yes children but also ideas and careers and relationships pets you know anything and everything that we're putting that level of attention to we mother but the most important person we need to mother is ourselves so really kind of taking that that essence of mother, you know, that comes in so many forms, so many manifestations and embody it, understand its power, get that, um, you know, we have access to something that isn't just a, a job that we do. I call that motherhood, you know, the, the, the when we choose to put our mothering energy toward raising a child, um, that that's motherhood, but that we're all connected in this way. We're all on a mothering continuum, whatever age, you know, wherever we are and wherever we are on our, on our journey, I call it a mothering journey because I believe we all are. And it doesn't exclude men. You know, I believe we have the yin yang masculine and feminine, you know, uh, in all of us and men can foster their mother energy as well. But I mainly focus, you know, you got to narrow your demographic somewhere, right? (laughs) It applies to everyone. It's not, you know, gender specific, but specifically empowering women. Interesting. Well, I work with a lot of women who are trying to conceive and they're having infertility or fertility, I should say, challenges. And I always see the baby's spirits attached to the mom's energy field before they are conceived. And they look like little orbs, Gertrude, that you'd see in a picture. Or it reminds me of the orb that Glenda the Good Witch flies into munchkin land inside, you know? And, And so babies attached to the mom's energy field. And I usually see them above the right shoulder. Mm. Now, if it's twins, I'll see a bubble on either side at the same time. But usually the babies are stacked out. It reminds me of an airport at night when the planes are waiting (laughs) for clearance to land and they've got their landing lights on. You can see them stacked out in the distance waiting for clearance to land. And, and I, I find it interesting that those babies connect to the mom's energy field, regardless of if the mom's going to birth them or adopt them. And sometimes I've seen it too with stepchildren and those babies energies. And sometimes I'll see when I'll see those, but they're not baby spirits, they're idea spirits for a new venture or a new something like that. And they look a little different. The baby spirits are clear. The other, the other energy, like let's say somebody's starting a new company or they want to 
paint a new painting or something mm-hmm. along those lines. There'll be different colors in there. They're not necessarily over the shoulder. They can be anywhere in the mom's or in the woman's energy field. I don't see it so much with men. I see it way more with women. Does that I make sense so. to you with it, the work that you do? It makes a hundred percent sense. Um, Julian, as you were saying that I was thinking about, uh, you know, I have two daughters. I, we have, they're, grown or whatnot. But then as they were growing is when I decided to do my doctorate or dissertation. I really consider it my third baby, you know, because the process felt so similar and it still feels similar because I'm raising, you know, that, uh, that birthing of a, of a dissertation. Right. And now I'm, I'm raising it. So I, I was just picturing like, Oh, I bet I had a little orb. Uh, I wonder what color it was. <laughs> purple, purple. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there I can you do go. So I can do. I can do instant replays like the sports networks do. Oh, I love that all the time. Yeah, and I know what you're talking about because I'm a serial entrepreneur and an inventor, and I never paid much attention to that stuff. But I just know that it, when it came through me, that I felt like I was birthing and raising something. And then when I, when I sold several companies at different times, it, it, there was a ping in my heart. It was like, Oh, my baby, I'm selling it. Mm-hmm. Or when I'd, when I license my products, my inventions, not so much, but when I sold the companies and especially the intellectual property, the patents and trademarks that go with the company, when I sold it, it was, it, it, I felt definitely a ping in my heart Yeah, with that. And it's kind of, I get it as kind of a combination of releasing, you know, I believe we're, are in many ways, our job raising children is to give them everything they need so they can go often have their life, you know, I'm, I know we'll always have a connection, but you know, it's, it's like, it's why we ever choose to do it when your whole job is to be in the pain of separation, you know, through all the phases and ultimately like, you know, really let them go. So it feels similar to me in that regard, right? Like there's, it's off doing its independent life world. And sometimes the separation is more distinct than others. Well, and then fast forward to when we're in heaven and our children are dying, we're helping run the show from the spirit world. I and, read that in your yeah, book and I was like, yeah. whoa, this is just, right. it just blew my mind that the mom like was mothering, you know, of course, like it made so much sense. Like there she is in physical form, like birthing you. And why wouldn't the mother or mother figure be there at your death? Like running, like... <laughs> Kind of and orchestrating the whole thing. Oh, it just I, yeah, I thought it'd be that. <laughs> I thought it'd be God or the guardian angel or no, it's the maternal spirit. And if the mom's still alive, it's the maternal grandmother and it's always on the maternal line. So mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to have you on because I find your work so fascinating and and the correlations of what I see as far as that maternal line really staying connected, even from the grave, if you will, and running the show. When my mother was dying, my grandmother, who I adored, she didn't even pay any attention to any of us that were in the room. She was laser beam focused on my mother who was dying. And my grandmother had only died six months previously to my mother, prior to my mother. And I found that really interesting as well. Well, let's back up a little bit. Did you grow up in Chicago, in the Chicago area? I grew up in the Midwest, but in Michigan. Okay. Very small town in Michigan and a tiny, like 4,500 people. Tiny. Okay. And then tell me about your childhood and your family. How How does one go from growing up in a little tiny town in Michigan to being this icon of motherhood and teaching women how to become goddesses in their own right. Aren't our journeys amazing? Like I, it certainly wasn't something I, you know, sat in my childhood ever thinking even wasn't even in my consciousness or awareness to think I would be doing what I'm doing now. Right. So luckily, I mean, I had parents who weren't born and raised in a small town. They, they grew up in Detroit. So because a small town mentality, you don't leave, you know, you 
you stay. And so just, I, I think for me, there were, I, I always think I've had angels, you know, guiding me in so many ways, you know, and, and sometimes I'd listen, right. <laughs> and one of those times was listening was I was in grade school and I had a babysitter who went to boarding school because our little small town high school really didn't sent about 10% of the students to college. Right. And so I figured if I want to do something or if I, and I do, I did want to go to college, maybe I should try that. So I went to a boarding school in Canada and then um, ended up at St. Mary's. And at that time, my main thought was get a job that you can make money. I didn't have that sense of purpose or drive. It was what, what, what can I do where I, I can get a job and make good money? So finance and accounting major, right? Get out there and get in the business world and really driven much more by, I mean, I picked St. Mary's, I think because it had a certain feminine mothering aspect to it. Honestly, it was, uh, people were friendly, you know, people like, it felt like, uh, just a beautiful, lovely place to go to school. And, uh, and it was, but business school, it was got a job out of college in Chicago. So excited litigation consulting. At first I worked for a large firm and then I went to uh, a one man show and it's a long story, but it, it is all very connected where he was a personal injury and wrongful death economist, right? So in instances where there's been a personal injury, wrongful death, he had just recently had a huge success in getting damages submitted on the value of life. So, you know, helping guide juries in a way using this economic model that showed, well, this is, we as a American culture society based on all this myriad of data. This is what we show a life being worth, you know? So then you extrapolate that out for the, the person's remaining life. And so here, jury, here's one way to think about how you can assess a damage for this. But with the injured people, it would have to, we based it more on a psychological report, like what's happening in their lives. So that was happening in parallel to the fact that that same boss also introduced me to and invited my husband and I, then fiance, when we got engaged to do premarital coaching or counseling. I was, I don't know, Julie, how old you were when you got married? I was 23 when I got engaged. Now I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> so young. I was a baby. Um and when he said that, I, I didn't know what the guy was talking about, right? Well, why would I need that? I just found this handsome, smart, you know, already well-off guy. I, I'm set, right? I'm going to have my babies. We're going to have this American dream life and everything's going to be amazing. But there was something, again, I, I consider him one of my also main angels in my life because just him with that invitation changed the whole trajectory of my life, our life, uh, because I started to think and think, well, my parents are on the living in separate bedrooms on the brink of divorce. If I look to them as a model for a relationship, I'm not seeing a whole lot, a whole lot there that I aspire to. And then my husband's uh, parents were divorced his mom was remarried to a second alcoholic. And I'm like, Hmm, you know, maybe getting some guidance in this relationship arena is not a bad idea. <laughs> and then selling my husband on it, it, it he kind of acts like he gave up a big fight, but he really didn't. I think he, he kind of got it too. And we had a first session with uh, Dr. Bob Wright and I had never had an experience like that. You know, where you come in, you've, share with somebody a little bit about yourself and they reflect back to you what like that that feeling of being seen right like you see into people like you see things that illuminate and help them have suddenly a whole new expanded possibility of who they are what their life is and where they came from you know from this you know starting to touch the pain you know and the things that weren't so great weren't so wonderful but you know, still let, we're going to deal with them. 
So we did that. And that started us on our trajectory and our journey. I stayed working in that field for 10 years after the birth of my second ch- our second child. And I'm skipping a whole lot in our growth trajectory. And maybe we can go back to it because in this mothering journey, I I really led the way in our family to our you know, to our growth, to our consciousness. Like I really found that to be my job, but I still throughout it, as hard as I worked on it, didn't always value it as much as it, I think should be. And now I'm very clear needs to be valued, you know, just that guiding us into that. I guided us into a, a very conscious conception process that I, you know, feel really grateful to have had the opportunity to, to have, and we can, there's some good stories about that. You know, fast forward, second child comes along and, uh, my kind of gumption for this, you know, go at it growth work started to wane. I really kind of started falling into what I now consider some of the really cultural family pattern, the not so great aspects of motherhood. Like what? Like what, what would you, what would you include in that list? One, the big one for me is when you, when, and what I did is lose myself and my children, right? Like they become, you know, what matter, what my life, what's happening with me? Like, sure. I'm, I'm still working. I'm still doing stuff. I, but my focus is really on them and my energy is all there and I'm losing myself. I'm losing my sense of self. Um, the, the fear, I think another one, like the, I, and I think there's something maternal. I don't think it's all bad that I really, I I felt looking back on it a bit, like overwhelmed with the fear of if I keep rocking the boat, cause you know, when you're moving and growing and learning, you're, you're mixing things up. And I wasn't willing to do that anymore with my husband. You know, it was kind of like, let's just, this is nice. We're doing well. You know, I'll work and mostly focus on the kids. You're building a business and, you know, we're, we're kind of coming together in our parenting more than we were in just our relationship and with each other and ourselves. We were kind of on this parenting journey that uh, I'm, I'm grateful we stayed on and stayed connected enough now that they're gone that we can, you know, come back. I feel like we're now just coming back together. You know, we're like rediscovering each other. So I would say those were a couple. And for me, I I had been building a sense of self and building a sense of, as I mentioned earlier, the importance of living to feminine values, how much, you know, now we use the term, I didn't use it then, you know, the patriarchal world and, you know, some of the ways that, you know, we live in a much more masculine oriented way of life. And that's how I was starting to raise my daughters, you know, accomplishment, achievement, get the grades, get in a good school. And all those things can be important, but I was getting super wrapped up in that versus how do you feel? What makes sense to you developing, you know, more of their intuitive gifts, more of, you know, the, the sense of beauty and being not so overly focused on the doing. So when I had kind of my epiphany moment later on where I looked back and I just, I let myself have some of that regret and remorse and really feel, you know, the, the pain of having let go of that. And that's what then the impetus, the the push, the movement, and honestly, it was standing under a Buddha statue in in Laos, uh, in this beautiful setting. That it was like this doesn't this you know the pain you're feeling isn't shouldn't go to waste. You know you this is your turn to support women and share with women what is possible. You know what 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 will it mean to like uncover some of the myths, some of the wiring that we have that even in what I consider a growthful circumstance is still hard to stay and maintain uh, without, you know, a lot of support and direction. Well, I think our generation really has benefited from the women who went before us. I always feel grateful to the suffragists and the 
the glorious Steinems and those women that really paved the way for me and for you and for our generation when we got out of school. I don't know about you, but for me, I graduated from college in 81 and I was part of a quota for a huge company based out of Chicago that had a corporate quota to hire a certain amount of women. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was one of those women that got hired. And back then you didn't even think about wearing pants to work. You wore suits that had skirts. I wore heels. I was calling on hospitals. I was in heels traipsing those linoleum floors all day. I mean, it's a wonder I wasn't a cripple by the end of the, the day. And I remember I would change my heels. I would change my shoes and I would have a matching purse that matched my suit and I would change yes. it every day. Yes. Because I had a different purse that went with every outfit and all of that and was selling hospital supplies. And then come full circle. And I, like you, was okay, I want to be a businesswoman. I want to make a lot of money. I'm going to work for this company for a long time. This is going to be my career. La, 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 la. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. And I started my first company at 25 because I found that I did not fit in. I made a terrible employee. I was, I made my quotas, you know, I mean, I did all of that, but I hated it. Mm-hmm. I hated the restrictions. I, I felt like a, a corralled Mustang that just wanted to break out and get free. And then I've watched it come back where I had girlfriends that didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom because they felt like it was beneath them. They had gotten this education and they didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. And I was fortunate enough that I had done well with my companies and I was a stay-at-home mom and had passive income coming in while Jonathan, my son, was growing up. But I've seen it come and settle now, Gertrude, and I, I want your opinion on this, where it's okay whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter if you want to be a stay-at-home mom. I mean, those of us that have done that, that's more work than going to a job because you don't get a break all day long and all night. I mean, you never get away from it and it's wonderful. And I would never, I, I can't, I can't get those years back. And I knew that I had enough foresight and this was long before I got into woo woo, but I had enough foresight to know I can always do another deal, but I can't get these years back with my child. And I'm so grateful that I did that. But I'm a sorority advisor now at the University of Alabama for 450 girls every year. And I watch them and we just had senior night a couple of nights ago to send the seniors on their way. And the jobs they have are just amazing. And it's this whole amalgamation of business jobs, medical jobs, going to graduate school, whatever. And some of them saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go live in Italy for a year and figure out what I'm going to do, or I'm going to, I'm going to go home and see where, where I'm led. And I thought, good heavens, how fabulous is that, that these women feel these young women who are 22, most of them feel empowered enough that they're okay to say, this is, this is my plan. And I'm just going to let it unfold. Have you, do you agree with that, that we've really watched kind of a, an amalgamation of a bunch of different methodologies and paths for women. And they're now it's way more open to what do you want to do? Yeah, no, I think that I think things are opening big time. Right. And you said something earlier about stay at home mom working, you know, the, the variety and I'm a hundred percent with you in the, it's all good. It's all, there's no right or wrong. And what I'm working to support women in is just making that as a, as a discerned of choice as possible, right? Like what work, if any, do you need to do to tune into yourself? So you're not driven by what your family has, is dictating or the reaction to what your family, you know, I, I'm going to not be that, or I'm just going to go with the flow. And, you know, I, I say that to women sometimes, when they say like, oh, I, I, I just have always known I want to have children. I'm like, and I said the same thing. Of, of course, I'm going to have children. And I've, and even with women who say like, nope, definitely not having children, don't want to. I'm like, that's great. I said, but there's something underneath that, right? And that exploration, when I work with women to uncover and really dig into that, always reveals 
pain points, you know, things from their past or upbringing that led them to that. Um, and by doing so, many of them stay with the same choice, but some of them don't. Someone's like, oh, now that I see all of this, more choices are available to me. It isn't just, a, I'm definitely doing this or I'm definitely doing that. Or for a woman who has said, I always want to have kids, but then it's, you know, physically not happening. Like you said, you were working with, you know, women on fertility, um, that it can give them peace sometimes to, to uncover and discover and really look at the path that got them to where and how, and that was true for me. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll share a little from my story from that, from this perspective. If, sure. Yeah. Cause I was definitely one of those, uh, uh and I, it was one of the first questions when we did this, this couples counseling that I talked about is, you know, do the two of you want to have kids? And, oh yeah, definitely we do. Um, and his only advice at the time was, well, it's, I think that's great. It can be really nice to be married, work on being married and really get strong as a couple. So three to five years can be a good time frame for that. Well, I was in my twenties, so that wasn't, you know, I, I, that wasn't going to be an issue. But when we did get to the point where, okay, we're ready, we want to start having a child. And I went off birth control, I, I didn't get a period. You know, I didn't, my body was saying, well, well, you may think you're ready, but there's a lot going on here. And it put me on a, for just that aspect, a year long journey of looking at it physiologically. I didn't have you to like hone in and, and kind of see, but you know, other modalities that I was working with to not just listen to the renowned OBGYN at Northwestern that said, oh, you know, you have onomatopoeia, which means you're not getting your period. That's all that means. It's a big, scary word to somebody who's not getting their period. Um, and we'll put you on this ovulation drug. And then if you don't, you know, get a period in the in a couple months, here's a card for fertility specialist. I'm like, what? I, it's only been like two months since I haven't gotten a period. Like I, I knew enough, like there's so much more I think I can explore here than just go right down that road. I I'm glad that road is there, but is that really where you're going to send me immediately? Because what ended up emerging for me out of that is, Oh, well, let's look at the fact that I was probably 10 pounds underweight. Well, let's put a little like weight on you, you know, that, that should be something my doctor could tell you. <laughs> Right. Um, but it was really when I dug into the deeper emotional work, Julie, and it was, uh, I was doing things like dynamic breath work and body work. And in one session, I just suddenly burst into tears because I was being with, you know, what was going on in my body. And it, it just became crystal clear that I was afraid to be a mother and I had huge fear and that I was afraid to be a mother like my mother had been a mother, you know, and it wasn't, and I say these things not in disrespect to my mom, you know, but just in what had gotten wired and my experience and all of that put in there together that, you know, if I hadn't done that work and I got a period like the next month, right? So to me, it was that whole journey that was so illuminating, emerging, and I wouldn't have traded any of that or known to even like look there had I not been in an environment that was guiding me. So I think from that perspective, it put me on this journey to, to keep asking questions, be curious, explore, don't just, you know, go with the first thing someone tells you, or just because they're the expert, you know, what do you think? What do you feel? And really get women thinking about that because then fast forward, we start trying to have a child. It doesn't happen right away. Right. And okay, um, we're going to be with that. And I got, it gave me an opportunity to explore my body, to understand it more, to, you know, get in there. But again, another, we're on another spiritual pilgrimage. This time I was in Ireland and we were at a Mary, an, uh, a Mary, there's a lot of Mary sites in Ireland, but this was one that was just off the side of the road. But supposedly miracles had happened there and really beautiful things. And we're all there praying, meditating. And I really felt 
spoken to. And I'd never had quite a distinctive experience of this, of a voice. I didn't see anything necessarily, but I very heard, very clearly heard a voice that said, you and Rich, my husband, are a family, whether you have a child or not. And again, the tears just like, oh my gosh, it's like this weight was lifted for me. And I had heard that, you know, people say, it's like, that's something people just say to you to make you feel better, you know, when you can't have a baby, <laughs> but I felt it. I felt the the truth of that and that that really could be so that he and I were enough. I was enough. He was enough. I didn't have to have a baby to complete me. It's another myth I work with women on, right? That I'm not a full woman if I don't have a, a child, um, and then we conceived a month later after after that incident. And I was, you know, I didn't know what would happen after that. And obviously was hugely blessed and grateful that, that that's how it worked out for me. But I, I think these lessons that are there when we're willing to kind of go a little deeper than just our culture that tells us, oh, can't have a baby, like go here, do this, 10 easy steps, you know, and it's hard. Have you ever heard of Cozy Earth bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. They're made from organic bamboo and silk, are hypoallergenic, and even antimicrobial. Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing, they've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So if you're ready to elevate your sleep, Cozy Earth has a special offer for just for my listeners. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y-Earth.com and use code AskJulie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth bedding. I love them and so will you. Well, when we give up control, because yeah. there's always an emotional component behind every medical condition, always, always. And when we figure out what that is, then the medical condition normally kind of irons itself out. Funny story. My parents were married three years. And my mom had a couple of miscarriages and they went to some shrine and they lit a candle for babies. And then they had four kids in five years. And so the joke was always, <laughs> we needed to go blow out that candle at that shrine. Mm -hmm. Do you think that prayer and meditation has a way of helping us release that control that we think we have? We really yeah. don't. Exactly. Some of the women with whom I work who are having fertility challenges are they're so desperate and they're so stressed out and they've turned into these lab experiment directors. You know, they know every ovulation cycle, they know their temperature, they know down to the minute when they are fertile and all that kind of stuff. And I find that when they can get to the place to say, okay, whatever, I turn it over, that that really is normally when they're able to conceive, it's this control thing. How does meditation and prayer, which is really the same thing, mm -hmm. how does that help us release that control yeah, that we all want to have? I know. Isn't that funny? Like control, it's, it, it really bites us in the butt so much, doesn't it? <laughs> but just what, as you were saying, Julie, I, I really believe it's, it's, a, a, a pathway. It's a, can be a really beautiful way for us to tune into ourselves, right. To see what's going on inside of us, you know, what's to lay down our burdens, you know, to, to reconnect the meditation. I mean, meditation prayer has been going on. That's not a new, and it's free, and it, you know, it doesn't cost Convenient. anything and it, it works anywhere your brain is. No, yeah. yeah. Nobody else. I mean, you know, you can get trained in it and, and that, but you know, it, it goes against our medical model of, of, um, you know, something being monetized. And I think it can provide when we really, it's something that takes practice and, you know, you have to surrender and sink into it and let go of some control, even to 
allow the meditation and prayer to really live inside of us and open up some of those spaces. Because as I said, I that's the space I was in and that meditation and prayer that opened up that space. I don't think that would have happened as I was, you know, calculating my temperature and ovulation. <laughs> but you and, were certainly led to go on that retreat in Ireland. Yes. And, and some would say you were led to go on that retreat because you were going to be at that little shrine, that little Marian shrine where spirit could communicate with you in a way that you had an epiphany moment or an aha moment and say, okay, this is okay. And that was all part of your journey where you were being led and how you were being led. And that's the thing is it all unfolds perfectly. I think the older we get, certainly for me, the more I just trust that it's all unfolding perfectly. And the people we need to show up, show up right when we need them. And the circumstances show up right as, as they're perfect for us in whatever our journey is. And then we, we can look back and we can say, yeah, that was awful going through that. And here's what came out of it. That's really benefited me in the long run. How do you teach women? How do you suggest women and men tune into that voice that you heard at that Marian shrine? How do you, is there a technique that you suggest that people use? Is there, is there something that you can give to our listeners that will help them be able to access that for themselves? Yeah. Yes. And it's, um, there isn't any one way, right? I, I certainly was part of and within a framework, but there's a few things I would say, because I think there's a lot of beautiful uh, pathways, growth frameworks, you know, processes that people can go through. And, but I'll preface that with, we're, I think, very wired in our culture to want 10 easy steps or, you know, like you were saying, these women that come to you and they're desperate, it's like, just give me the formula, right? And it's on the one hand, there are formulas, right? But those formulas are are, are hard work. Just like if you want, you know, a, a good, healthy, strong body and you need to work out and go to the gym, you know, you. I think we don't really get to... I don't think there are many people on the planet that can just say, I'm going to start meditating and praying and everything... Uh, and, and I'll be healed. Right. I, I, I think that it could happen, but I think it takes some intention and work through frameworks. I, you know, through the right foundation and that long name, you know, realized that it's a journey, right. It's a lifetime journey. We're never done, but I've broken it into two main sections. Let's, let's really explore our, our family wiring, you know, let's really go back and in whatever arena, but just me as a person, like, let's, let's look at, you know, my foundation, my formation, it's Jack Mesero, who he's a wonderful theorist who says, you know, our, we're, our formation is our childhood. That's everything that we're like this little computer program, you know, we're wired in to, to believe, everything about ourselves, who we are, how the world is going to uh, respond to us, what we can expect from the world. And we get uh, formulate a lot of mistaken beliefs, a lot of uh, matrix beliefs that really limit us. You know, all that happens in our formation, but as adults, and we don't choose that in our childhood, well, unless we say our soul might've chosen, but if we don't go there, right? and we go to us as adults, we then have the choice for our own and to initiate our own transformation. You know, that's when, you know, when my boss at the time invited me to premarital counseling, like that's how we started, right? And then what that led us to an exploration. Of, and and even then in that, after a couple of sessions, you know, what he said to us is you're, I'm not going to keep seeing you as a couple because what you need to do is your own personal work, right? You need to start looking inside and now looking back at that childhood and uncovering what were those mistaken beliefs? What are the ones that limit me and do assignments like in our, at the right foundation, we call it the assignment way of living where once you've identified first, you, 
well, all right. So now I'm going to give you some of the steps, right? So now we'll get a little more concrete after I've given that big preface is create a vision for yourself. You know, who, what, we all know how to set goals. It's very masculine oriented, you know, things we can check off our list. Like you and I, let's get a job, let's make money, you know, and that's what we're supposed to do. But a vision is who do I want to be? How do I want to, what's the quality of life I want? You know, do I want a life where I'm learning and growing and exploring and, and discovering and living life as an adventure and living to my highest truth, being my best self, all of that, you know, it, within a vision and then what's in my way. And then, then we can start really digging in and looking at what, what happened in my upbringing that led me to have certain blocks and barriers? You know, what was my relationship like with my mother, my father? And, you know, even in the best of circumstances, I wasn't perfect raising my kids. Uh, nobody is. And, you know, even the most heartfelt where there's going to be things that we're missing. And I think as adults, we're, we yearn toward that wholeness again that we had. And there's a lot of rewiring. That's why I call it rewrite the mother code. What were the codes that were wired in? And then what's the rewiring that we need to do? And there's a lot of beautiful work there around our emotional uh, facility and getting reoriented with our emotions. They're this beautiful part of us that we've, you know, been culturally and depending on your family, socialized out of us, right? Good. There's some that are okay. Some are bad. We, you know, we think happy is the only thing we're supposed to be when all the emotions bring us somewhere and it can be beautiful, you know, when they're shared responsibly. So I don't think that was maybe as linear and concrete as, as you might've been looking for. And I can, I can go there in a bit, but I just want to kind of give this picture this essence of this journey and some of the the landscape that that people can and will visit as you're discovering yourself then you know you can go into prayer and meditation and have them really be useful for you mm -hmm. my take on all of that is from a you were at like a 50,000 foot view I'm on the ground my take on that is what i teach which is we pay attention to our emotions. If something feels neutral or good, it's true. And we're in alignment with our spirit. If something feels badly, that's our emotion saying, okay, check this out. Take a nanosecond, check this out. Is this a real fear or is this a fake fear? Is this to your point, a limiting belief that's false that we picked up from a parent or a grandparent along the way. And those limiting beliefs are endless. The one that I, that always comes to my mind, even to this day, if I go outside and it's really windy, I'll hear my Mima say to me, put a hat on because it's a windy day and the wind, you'll catch a cold if you're out in the wind without your head covered. Even now, and I know that colds are viruses, but I'll hear her voice in my head. That's a limiting belief. That's an example of a limiting belief that she was taught, that she taught my mother, that, you know, that she taught all of us. With the best intentions. Right? With, absolutely. Yeah. But am I going to put a scarf on or a hat when it's windy? No, I I don't even wear scarves when it's cold. So that's an example. And I think when we can say, okay, is this a real fear? If it is, get out of the road before the bus runs you over. Yeah, that's yep. a that's a rational fear. Everything else, 99.9% .9 of everything else is not. Right. It's fake news. It's false. It's a limiting belief that's false based in an irrational fear that's false. And we're all hardwired for fear. We're all looking for that saber-toothed tiger that's going to come around the corner and eat us for lunch, although he's been extinct for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And we need to be hardwired for fear yes. because when we know what we don't want, it helps us create what we do want. And that's yeah. why we're here. Exactly. And that's why they all, all of our emotions serve a function. Right? Absolutely. That we, that limbic, you know, fear, fight, flight, freeze reactions we just want to be more aware of right so we're, we're not letting them stop us we're not living there and we can access and and use the fear because fears can be it's beautiful it's powerful you know and it, it keeps us safe right and uh but we 
can overuse it. Oh, I'm scared. So I'm not going to do that thing. Well, let's explore that. As you said, you know, yeah. is it an imagined fear? Is it a real imagined fear? Because sometimes we had something happen and then anything that is even remotely like that, we're afraid of without mm-hmm. exploring it. And right. we right. want, we want to have that curiosity, that awareness and that, that openness to not just be an automatic pilot. I think that was something that has been so huge for me on my journey to be awake, to be engaged, to uh, be and and be coachable, you know, be willing to take feedback and hear the truth from people that you trust and allies that see more for you, see a bigger vision, you know, for you and having people around you and surrounding you, not, you know, just with people who want to kind of keep you um, limited in in the the space that you are because it's comfortable it's comfortable for them well exactly and i think in this day and age with our access to information instantaneously it's really easy so much easier now than before to disprove limiting beliefs people who are afraid to fly well, look up the statistics. How many planes really crash? How many billions of people fly every day? What's the percentage of that number of people who die in plane crashes? It's a nano nano percent of 1%. Yep. So we can help disprove a lot of these limiting beliefs, I think, in this day and age, much easier than we've ever been able to before. You talk about the mother code and the current model for mothering in our culture is broken. It's limiting, constricting, and disempowering. Can you talk a little bit about that and and just illuminate what you think is broken and then how can we reframe it? How can we look at it from a different perspective that's empowering for us, not only as actual mothers of children, whether they be little or high schoolers or adult, or whether it's in going forward with what we talked about before, creating a new piece of art, creating a new business, creating a new relationship. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. The just we were we were there. Now I'm kind of forgetting the beginning question. So the, the mother code, right? And how well the mother code you women. say you say is uh the current model for mothering in our culture broken. is broken. Yes, yes, right. So and I, I don't want to lose because you said earlier, I, I do think we've come a long way, you know, when but I really want women to understand that throughout the ages, you know, you're where you sit, there's some sort of cultural paradigm for mothering, you know, through through millennia, right? So it's been dishonored, honored. I think we're coming into an age where, you know, we're, we're honoring it again, but it's slow, right? And I still think there's a lot of beliefs, even though now women have choice, you can have a child, not have a child, you're not so, you know, have to, but there's judgments. We're not free of it. You know, that it's still in our culture, what you're supposed to do and many cultures where it's kind of mandated, dictated, whether it's in your family or whether it's in your culture. So we want to learn how that within the places where there still are limitations and in some places it's so much freer and so much more open than it ever has been, but we still want to explore them. So we want to identify what your personal codes are. You know, we want to identify just what we were talking about. What were the codes I was raised with just, just in mothering decisions, just around the idea and spirit of, of mothering. Like, what is that? What's wired in me? And then what's wired culturally? Like, I, I still think we live too much in the myth of, a, a woman is it's her job to and put yourself aside and put your children and your husband and, and even your career before you. Um, I think the the biggest thing that's still broken is women feeling guilty, women feeling um, the intensive mother paradigm of that's your value, that's what you're supposed to do, that's who you are. And there's a right way to do it. And I think that's one of the biggest uh, 
issues in our current paradigm is that somehow in all of this, there's no freedom to, in, there is freedom to enjoy it, but it's still very much dictated by how you should enjoy it, what it should look like, and that there's these myths that you're just supposed to know how to do it. And, you know, this whole right way to do it really causes a lot of angst and upset. And it did for me, you know, but for women to be in a path of discovery, ultimately, what I want is to be able to disrupt all of this, have you explore it, and then see it ultimately as a potential for your own transformation, right? When we can step beyond the like doing it right and kind of the minutia of it, we can see that even the upset, the pain, the really toughest parts of mothering are part of my own development as well. I'm growing up with my children. I, it's not mine to just now step back and be there for them. I'm, I can be on the journey with them. I can learn and grow through everything that's getting triggered in the, the, the mothering of them. There's so much rich material and data there and, and possibilities for them, for myself along with them. And I think out of that, you know, I ultimately think they're better off and you know, oh, yeah. you know the well, I agree. I the agree. intensive mothering paradigm is still alive and well and and it doesn't do our children a bit of good, you know, to be in that space. So one last question as we wrap up here. Uh I know you talk about social emotional intelligence and I always think of IQ which is where you score as far as how much you know and how smart you are, supposedly. And then EQ, the the emotional intelligence quotient. I belong to a international group of CEOs for many years. And I there were groups all over the world and there were groups that meet in the different cities. And of course, I was the only woman in my group with a bunch of male CEOs. And we had a speaker one time come in and, and give us tests on emotional quotient, the emotional intelligence. And of course, mine's off the chart because I'm in there with a bunch of men. And I think women, we just as a species always score higher. We're in a room, you know, we're multitaskers. We're feeling the vibe in the room. We're figuring out where are the kids? Is the stove, is the stuff cooking on the stove? Okay. What's going on outside? How about the dog? Does the dog need to be let out? What, what's, what are the kids watching on TV? I mean, we're doing 15 things all at once. And it was always interesting to me because this person who presented to our group said, that emotional intelligence was way more important than IQ. And that when we were hiring employees, that we wanted to do an emotional IQ test, basically, because that was going to give us a gauge on who was going to be a successful fit for whatever the position was that we were filling. So I'd love to hear your take on the social emotional intelligence. Does it go along the lines of what I experienced in that test? And I still have the test results and it it was fascinating when she, when this, and it was a woman, of course, who came in and did it. And it was so funny, Gertrude, because the guys in my, the reaction, well, are, yeah. <laughs> the, the guys in the group were just all huffing and puffing. It was hysterical because mm. they were saying, well, wait a minute, because they were scoring pretty low on the thing and I'm off the charts and I'm saying, yeah, well, you know, just cause I'm a, I, I have these special qualities that you guys don't have had that kind of relationship with them after being in this group with them for many years, you know, just teasing them. But I'd love to hear your take on that. There's so much to unpack with that, Julian. Yes. Yes. To all of it. It's all true. Uh, I do believe. And, you know, there's some brain research that I, I think there's enough of it that shows there's aspects that kind of counter it too. But you know, women are wired differently. And I do believe we have more access, a more emotional access. And I think it's a way that we lead is in an emotional space and in into our emotions. And 
we read people, we see it, you know, we sense it, we, we feel it, we're, we have a easier pathway to empathy. And, you know, in our, in our current state, there's so many more studies now on women leaders and bringing this aspect. And we're just, as I said earlier, really only now starting to value it, even though, and it's still slow coming, given that there's so much data to show the success of companies, like real solid monetary results of more women on on the board, more women leaders, more CEOs, bringing this aspect, because it's not like I think the world should be run by women now, and it should be a, a whole feminine yin culture. It's just we're out of balance, right? And, you know, you could joke with those men, but I'm sure there was part of them like, well, that doesn't really matter. No matter how much that woman is saying, you know, that that's what we should hire for. It's like, you know, no, you know, that they, if they pass that IQ test and they're good at that, that's all that matters. I mean, that's what we're working on because we, in partnership and in synergy, you know, that intellect versus, and not versus, but in, we kind of treat it as versus, but intellect with intuition, you know, being with doing and the combination and the synergy when we bring those two forces together is so powerful. And I, I love that it's becoming mainstream, that emotional intelligence and, and having that is a good thing, right? And we want to foster it and more and more trainings are happening in companies. And we do trainings too. It's a big part of our curriculum is to foster and I call it reacquainting. It's like we we knew that language as children, our emotional language, but just like when you learn a language as a child and if you're not speaking it and it's not safe or it's not valued, you, you put it aside, you hide it and it causes all sorts of problems. But when it now when we can bring it back out, it's a reawakening, a, a bringing back online um, our emotions and, and the aspect of that part of ourselves that's really helps us make better decisions. It, it, it helps us in so many ways, but we have a lot of mistaken beliefs and, and wiring around which ones are okay, why they're not okay. And once we can set that aside and live into them, have them, identify them, express them, live in them fully, then we're present, right? And that's another thing I really want to orient the women I work with to is what we're really going for in mothering is presence, presence with ourselves fully so I can be present with my child. So I can really savor those beautiful moments and feel them and feel the my pain into its fullest. I think it's another huge disservice we're doing in our world and and uh, in by medicalizing everything and thinking pain is bad, it's it brings forth life. It's, you know, there's beautiful aspects to our pain. And I think then we think pain is just a four letter word that we should avoid versus it's how creation takes place. It's, you know, a, a force that connects us. It's our heart. It's what allows us to understand what matters to us and, uh, you know, letting things matter and be important to us is our pain. So we don't want to turn that off. We want to have full access to it. Well, and back to that's how we create. When we know what we don't want, it helps us create what we do want. And sometimes we need to be in pain to know, okay, we really don't want to be here. Yes. We want to create something else out of this. Well, what a delight to get to talk to you. I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, okay, when we get these ideas, We've got spirit communicating with us the whole time. That's what intuition is. That's when we get a gut feeling. That's when we get goosebumps. That's validation. Those are truth bumps. And what you're doing, it sounds like to me, Gertrude, is to help women really get in touch with themselves, which at the same time frees them up to be able to receive guidance from spirit, which helps them lead an, an amazing life and kudos to you and your team that you've been able to come up with this formula to help primarily women, but, but men as well to uncover these untapped resources that we all have inside of us. How can people find out more about you? Well, 
several ways. Um, I have a website, drgertrudelyons.com. I have an Instagram. IG is Dr. Gertrude Lyons. There'll be a theme here. Um, also, I have a podcast. It's called Mother Her, Rewriting the Mother Code with Dr. Gertrude Lyons. And that's, you can find wherever podcasts, wherever you are listening to podcasts. So those are probably the three easiest, most accessible ways. Okay. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Everybody will be back with a regular show next week. Sending you lots of love from Sweet Home, Alabama and from Chicago. And I'll catch you next time. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.